coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Well, the sun is setting on yet another very busy day for Jesus and his 12 disciples. It's been an exhausting day. Jesus has been healing people, sick people, and hurting people and disabled people all day long. He has taught all afternoon in a fishing boat. And now the sun is going down and the moon is glowing and they're now leaving in that same boat that he has just taught the people in. And that's because another city and and another multitude of, of hurting people await them tomorrow morning. And as you might imagine, it's very quiet right now. Everything is calm and still. The sea is sparkling in the light of the moonlight glow. The cool evening breeze feels so good on their faces as they go by. And the only sound that they can hear is just the sound of the oars striking the water back and forth, back and forth. Back and forth. Perhaps the only other sound that could be heard is is a distant chatter of the twelve just faintly speaking back and forth. I imagine if I was one of the twelve apostles, I I would be speaking to Andrew or to Thomas or somebody and saying, "Man, man, this is the life. Can you believe that this is what our lives look like right now? That, I mean, we've got a front row seat for the miracles and for all of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we're about to go do it again tomorrow. And can you believe that we get to do this? Twelve people on the face of the earth and we're two of them. And yet, perhaps entirely lost on their ears just just moments earlier was something so important that Jesus had said. As Jesus is sitting in the boat and what what he says to his men is, is, let's go across to the other side of this river. See, that's very significant and it's foreboding because life gets very rough on the other side of the river, doesn't it? When you were standing at the altar and you said, I do, and when you went off on your honeymoon, I mean, it was just so idyllic. It was just one of those moments in your life that you just never wanted to end. But guess what? We all knew it at the time. It's, it's going to come to an end. You know it in the back of your mind that on, on early Saturday morning, you're going to have to get off of that cruise ship and you're going to have to drive home and there's going to be a mailbox full of bills waiting for you. Monday morning, you're going to have to be right back at work. And yet as for your brand new marriage, I mean, you are ecstatic, you are in cloud nine, but you know that as time goes by, there's going to be many misunderstandings. There's going to be fights and disagreements. 
Each one of you eventually, it's just a matter of time, you're going to say the wrong thing in the heat of a moment. You don't mean it, but it's going to come out and it's going to cause pain. There's going to be nights where you're going to spend apart on the other side of a wall. One's going to be on the bed, the other one's going to be on the couch. And that's because you have to learn what I do is really all about. Life gets rough on the other side. A couple years later, you are in a delivery room in a hospital. You, you are holding your newborn baby in your arms, and it is idyllic. It is one of those moments in your life that you just pray to God, freeze time forevermore. And yet you know it in your heart of hearts that before you even know it, that child is going to start growing up. They're not going to remain that small forever. You've got to provide for that child now. You've got to spend sleepless nights working your hands to the bone to put food on the table for that child. But you also know that as that little baby grows up, they're going to start making the exact same mistakes that we made. They're going to make your heart glad, but then other times they're going to grieve you to your heart. They're going to break your heart because after all, life gets rough on the other side. On October 19, 1998, at 7.43 p.m. in Phoenix, Arizona, as I burst up from the waters of baptism, I heard an entire congregation of people burst into worship and celebratory praise about my new baptism. And it was one of those moments where I knew I, I just wish I could freeze time because this, this is the closest thing to heaven that I'm probably ever going to experience on earth. All of heaven is rejoicing. And yet, as wonderful as it is, our baptism was, was really the easy part in comparison to the Christian life that we now have to walk out of those doors and now learn how to live. Amen. What I discovered is that people are going to hurt you. <laughs> People are going to rip your heart out of your chest and throw it on the ground. And most of them are going to be in the church. You're going to have to learn how to love people the way Jesus does. You're going to have to learn how to forgive people just like God has forgiven you. And like the 12 disciples, you, you understand that in the moment that it's not that really living the Christian life is not going to be the one never-ending joyride rock tour with Jesus. And that's because life gets rough on the other side of the water. I mean, just ask the ancient Israelites out in the wilderness how life is on the other side of the water. They were only about to go around and to return to slavery, getting away from what was on the other side of that water. And so here we have the 12 disciples in this boat. Everything is calm, but then very soon, though, the winds begin to kick up. Mark chapter 4, Mark says that a great windstorm arose. Matthew says that a great storm rises up on the sea. And so now we have a sea that is raging. We have winds that are squalling. We have towering waves that are crashing down on their heads and that are sweeping all around them and lowering them into the river. 
You see, this is not the kind of a boat that is built to withstand hurricane-caliber winds. And understandably, by the way, the 12 disciples, initially what their reaction is, is, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. I mean, of course they would be stricken with, with fear and with terror in this moment. Who wouldn't be? I mean, imagine how absurd it would be if they were to say, there's really not a storm right in front of us. That's, that's just a figment of our imaginations. It, you know, it's just a hoax. We just have to ignore that, that there is a storm sweeping over us and luring us, say, into the sea late at night. But rather, they acknowledge the storm, and they, they're absolutely afraid of the storm. And that's because fear is an instinct that God has created us with. Fear is why a woman late at night in a parking garage has that jolt of angst as she senses a large looming male shadow somewhere behind her. It's why if we have ever been out in the open and a Rottweiler is charging at us, we have this instinct that, that I need to get out of this, you know, the, the, the pathway of this threat. It's why the ancient Israelites were as afraid as they were in the wilderness as they go multiple days without food or with water out in the middle of a desert. I mean, again, who wouldn't say we are hungry and we're thirsty in that moment? And in this moment, understandably, in their humanity, all of the 12 disciples, are we are beginning to sink here. And this is a deep body of water here. Wait, wait a minute. So what this means is that we are going to drown. And if that's true, then what that means is, is that we are about to die like right now. We're going to die. And just as easily, though, there are also windstorms that assail you and assail me. There are tsunamis of anxiety that we experience. There are tidal waves of financial distress, typhoons of tragedies of all kinds. Cyclones of marital discord, hurricanes of sickness where we have a pandemic where it seems like every other day there is a brand new variant that is going around in the world. There are the violent squalls of rage and of a pessimistic spirit that, that so easily work their way inside our hearts and completely poison the way that we, we think and that we speak. And regardless of what our threat is, it just feels as if all around us, bone-chilling waves are breaking our, our lives apart and, and ice-cold water is just being dumped on our heads. It feels as if we are sinking into a sea and in so many ways it feels as if we have already perished. And in this very understandable, in, in this very human moment, we what we hear are, are now, we hear the disciples confronting Jesus with words that are all too reminiscent and familiar with our own lives. As the question that they confront Jesus with is, God, don't you care? I mean, Martha wasn't even in a life-threatening situation, and she asked this question too. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of the cooking myself. Well, then have her get in this kitchen and, and help me cook these chicken and dumplings or, or whatever it was. She says, Lord, don't you care? 
And now in this moment, we see the 12 disciples saying, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? They are in a situation where they feel entirely helpless. Where they've got nowhere else to turn. And the only place, the only place, is to cry out to Jesus and to say, Lord, help me. Without you, I am am drowning tonight. And yet the reason why I am bringing this message to our ears this morning is because this isn't just a moment that Jesus is having with Peter, James, and John and all of the rest of them. But really, this is just as much a moment Jesus is having with with Judy and Fred, with David and with Brandon and with all of the rest of us this morning. I mean, have you ever been in a place in your life where it felt like you were drowning? Where it felt absolutely helpless? Where your whole entire world was falling apart and crashing down on you? And you begin to sink in your heart. Has it ever seemed to you that God was far away from you? That, that he was absent and distant? And how he was disinterested? And it just felt like you were all by yourself in the sea storm. With nobody else who cared about what was happening. Have we ourselves in our humanity ever prayed to God, God, don't you see what's going on in my life? Don't you care? Aren't you going to do something about this? That's a very human prayer to pray. (laughs) And yet it just makes me smile every single time that I, I remember this. We see how we react to the windstorms, and then we see how Jesus reacts to the same exact windstorm, right? I mean, how is Jesus reacting to this terrifying windstorm? I mean, yes, Jesus is asleep and he is so at peace during all of this because he is absolutely exhausted after a long day, yes. Yes, Jesus is asleep because he's showing us that that he's just as human as we are. That's true, but I believe primarily what is going on here is that Jesus is asleep because he's got an object lesson for his followers. Because he's trying to teach us something in the world today, all of these years later. It was a great philosopher named Marvin Gaye who once wrote in a song that that life is for learning. And the purpose is joining up with the Lord. And that's what's going on here in the boats. Jesus is so at peace. Jesus is so content to have heaven dwelling within him. That it's as if he's at a resort on a lazy summer afternoon. And it's like, hey, would you guys keep it down out there? Sheesh, there are people trying to sleep over here. Would you guys knock that off? Sheesh. Well, Jesus then does two very unusual things. 
First, he stands up and he opens up one eye and, and half asleep, Jesus rebukes the wind. Now, I don't know if you've ever rebuked wind before. I have never done that myself, but Jesus starts rebuking the wind. And then he starts speaking to the sea. It's like, what do you mean he's speaking to the sea? I mean, Jesus says three words. He says, peace. Then he says, be still. And in the blink of an eye, that ferocious, terrifying typhoon of a storm, it just dies. And, and a very interesting thing in the text is it says that it was perfectly still in the text. That, that word still in the Greek language is only used three times in New Testament scripture. Every single instance is when the gospel writers are referring to Jesus calming the storm. This is not merely that it was a little bit calmer. This, this is an otherworldly, ethereal, eerie kind of calm. Where it's like we don't even know what to call this kind of a calm. It's so calm right now. It's like that scene in Indiana Jones where the guy's got his sword. He's doing sword tricks. He's trying to be intimidating and he's going to kill Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones is just kind of over here in a corner and he notices him out of the corner of his eye. He reaches into his holster, pulls out his revolver, just guns him down as he eats a ham sandwich. That's what's going on here with Jesus in this a horrific storm. And notice, by the way, the power of God, of, of, of more specifically of the power of the spoken word of God. Three words, and we see the superiority of God over our threats. Where the fierce howl of the wind now is silenced. Where the crashing waves that were crashing down upon them now have been subdued into stillness. Well, now Jesus goes from addressing Mother Nature to addressing his 12 disciples. And it's not in a vindictive way where he's like yelling at these guys and saying that they're stupid and that they are, they're not real believers of his. Because remember, this is a teaching moment. But as so oftentimes when Jesus is confronted with a question, Jesus responds with two questions. And that's what Jesus does here. Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, Jesus says to his 12 disciples, the first question is, why are you so afraid? And the second question that he has is, have you still no faith? Now again, the fact that they had been afraid a moment ago was not a sin. As human beings, they were understandably afraid of what was initially happening. But if we read that very, very, very carefully, the most important word of emphasis in his first question was the fourth word that he uses, where Jesus asked his followers, why are you, and then he says, so afraid. Jesus does not say, why were you afraid, but he says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid that you would panic and despair? I mean, panic and despair belong to Pharaoh and to Nebuchadnezzar. Despair and panic belong to Hitler in a bunker as the Soviets drew near. But panic and despair do not belong to the children of God. So in other words, what he's saying is, why are you this afraid? 
when the I am is right here with you? I mean, did you really think that you and God were going to drown in this water tonight? I made the water. I caused enough water to flow out of a rock in the middle of a desert to to, um, give three million people water with. This whole entire universe was created through me by by a word of of my Father's mouth. And now the same exact word and the same exact mouth has now made this storm disappear in the blink of an eye. Again, the ancient Israelites understandably said, hey God, we're a little hungry over here. I don't know if you are noticing this or keeping track of this, but it's been like three days since we've had water we're about to fall and to drop dead in the sand over here. Are are you there, God? (laughs) And yet where their fear had gone wrong, though, was all the times that they began to panic and to freak out. Was all the times that they would spend in their tents grumbling about God, saying God hates us, and, and all of that other melodramatic nonsense. When they had a God right there giving them light by day and fire by night giving them manna out of the heavens. And yet perhaps Jesus would ask you, or he would ask me this morning, why are you so afraid this morning? I mean, in this past week, I I knew two people who had died because of the Delta variant. And that's scary. That stuff is scary. That stuff is sad. One of them was just 33 years old, four years younger than I am. You think I'm young, 33 years old. And I went to bed with my heart just broken. My heart was liquid last night. And yet, perhaps Jesus is saying to us this morning, why are you so afraid? Why are you this kind of fearful When the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in your soul. Maybe he would say to us, what are you so angry about? Every time that you turn on the television, it just turns you into this negative person. Everywhere you go, you're just looking to have a bad experience. And all that you do is just complain about everything. Why are you so angry? When I lifted your soul up out of hell and I gave you my spirit in your soul and I've given you good news of great joy so you don't have to live that way anymore. And you know, whenever I am anxious, which is about every 25 minutes, whenever I am sad or or I'm angry about something, I literally have a piece of paper that I pull out. And I just, I I imagine a question being asked of me, and then I just say it out loud. And I interview myself. And I say, one to ten, where are your emotions right now? Sometimes it's a six, and other times it is a 77. But I ask myself, am, am I bringing heaven to other people right now? Or am I bringing hell to them? Is Jesus reigning at this moment in time? Oh, yeah. Is the one who is reigning over heaven and earth the one who I have decided to make God and Lord over my life? Well, yeah. (laughs) By the way, have you noticed 
that the wife who really loves you? Have you noticed a congregation who believes in what God can do through you? Have you noticed the house and the car and the driveway? Well, yeah, yeah. You know, if you say it like that, yes, yes, I do. And that guy who honked his horn at you and, and flipped you off an accident an hour ago, do you know that guy's name? Are you ever going to see him ever again? Can he separate you from the love of Christ? Well, if you say it like that, no. <laughs> Are your loved ones in bodily harm or in any kind of um, bodily danger? Is that guy honking at you and flipping you off going to matter when the world's on fire? Is it going to matter a week from now? Is that person with the strong opinions about you, who is very critical about you, are you going to stand before them on the day of judgment? Are they God? Well, no. And then at last, what I ask myself is, as, as scary or as annoying or as unpleasant as this situation is, whatever it is, does it have the power to dethrone the King of kings and Lord of lords from his throne? And so with all of this in mind, what we see Jesus introduce his followers to is a brand new kind of fear. Mark chapter 4 and verse 41 says, and they were filled with great fear. Well, I thought Jesus said not to fear. No, it says that they were filled with great fear. Now, a moment ago, as Jesus says, why are you so afraid? That word afraid means to be cowardly and to have a timid spirit within you. But when they see him silence a storm with just three words and it dies down instantaneously, as it says that they were filled with great fear, what this means is to terrify to frighten, but, but it is a reverential kind of fear. This is a kind of fear where your mouth just drops open and you are just arrested with awe. As the apostles say in the latter part of verse 41, who is this guy? <laughs> we thought that he was just Yeshua or, or Jesus or, or, or Josh, but we didn't know who this guy was until now. Who is this guy? who even the winds and the sea obey the sound of his voice. The greatest way that, that I can describe to us this morning what it means to, to have this kind of fear of God. You know, the most profound spiritual insights that I ever learned did not come in a seminary. It did not come at a preacher's conference, but rather it came when I was four years old in, in children's Bible hours. As we were taught to sing with the biggest smiles on our faces at the top of our lungs, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that my God cannot do. And we believed every single word of it. When we have this kind of fear of God, yes, we are aware of the danger around us, but we are so much more aware of the God who looms high above our threats and our danger. I am concerned with COVID-19, I would say. I am aware of all of um, a variants going around, the Lambda and of um, a Delta variant. I'm cool with other people laughing at me if I have a mask on or if I got the vaccine. I mean, I, I love my wife. I want to grow old with my wife, so laugh away. I'll laugh with you. 
And yet I'm concerned about COVID-19, but I don't feel hopeless. I don't go to bed terrified at night that I'm going to die of of COVID-19 tomorrow. I'm not paralyzed and panicked by COVID-19, as serious a threat as it is to us. Because one day, we don't know when, but one day COVID-19 is no longer going to be this much of a problem for us. I don't know when that's going to be, but I believe the day is coming. Because after all, it's just another windstorm that one day is going to die down just like all the others that preceded it. And yet as we close this morning, I just want to very quickly, very briefly speak about what to do when life gets scary again for us. Or when life gets very bitter for us again, as we've all experienced. Number one, two words, let go. Seriously, let go. Now, sometimes it is a short windstorm that we experience. And I, I, I prefer those because they are over a lot quicker. <laughs> There's other ones, though, that it is a season in our lives. And every now and then, it might just be a wilderness that we've got to walk through and meander through for 40 years. But, we, but really, regardless of the windstorm that is assailing us, regardless, we don't have to go to sleep every single night just worrying ourselves to death until the sun comes up. We don't have to grind our teeth and go 15 rounds with, with everyone who wants to argue about God or or about the Bible with us, or about COVID-19, or whatever it is. We don't have to sound off on every political news story that breaks on Twitter. And yet, as the Apostle Peter says, cast all of your anxiety on Jesus, and that's because he cares about you. In other words, let go. As Jesus said on another occasion, is there anybody out here who is weary because of the world? If there's anybody who is tired and exhausted from living in this world, listen to what I'm going to say. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in order to do that, we have to say out loud to God, I'm letting go. Here, I don't want this anymore. (laughs) You worry about this, God. And last of all, what we need to do is just simply do what Jesus did and go to sleep. I mean, that is my call to action here this morning for us. Go to bed. Give it to God and go to sleep. Yes, there are still going to be problems and threats and dangers waiting for us as we wake up. That's called life in this world. Yes, God the Son slept in a boat as a storm rang out, but God the Father, we're told in Psalm 121, neither sleeps nor slumbers. God is watching over us. You know, every single night, Amanda and I fall asleep to a YouTube video. And what this YouTube video is, is just 12 hours of sights and sounds of the ocean at night. And with each and every tranquil rise and fall of the tide, I just close my eyes. And the last thought that I think until I fall asleep every single night, as I hear the waves and the tide, is that's my life in the hands of a loving God. It's as if God is whispering, do not let your heart be troubled. Your heart's going to be troubled, but don't let it get that troubled. 
It's as if I could hear Jesus almost saying, peace, be still. Be still and know in your heart of hearts, in your bones, that that I am God. And if we can just learn to live in a state where we are perpetually there in our mind and in our spirit, we're going to be just like the apostles with all of these threats around them. We're going to be amazed by the peace of God in our hearts where we're going to say, who is this? Who even causes the winds and the waves to obey him and to listen to his voice.